Hello and welcome to another episode of the Eat Game Podcast. This is the show that supports and promotes the game meat industry and along the way provides you with some delicious recipes courtesy of some of the best game cooks in the country. So for episode two, we ask, ethically, how do we ensure all game is used? Tom Evans here again for you. Hope you're well. And uh, yeah, on this episode, we're going to explore how ethically we can ensure that all game is used, how we prevent waste, ensuring that we make the most out of our quarry. A couple of really interesting guests for you today. Eat Game's very own chef Matt Gisby will be back on with his festive recipe of the month, which I guarantee will look spectacular on your Christmas table. So that's a little later. First, though, we talk to one organisation that's doing their bit, helping the game meat industry hugely reduce its waste by utilising the meat that often doesn't make it onto our dinner tables. So let's say hello to Tim Woodward, CEO of the Country Food Trust, a charity that provides free meals to those in poverty. Hi, Tim. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very well. Thanks Thanks for coming on to uh, the podcast. Fascinated to talk to you and, and uh, find out and learn and a little bit more about your setup. So tell us about the Country Food Trust and, and what it is exactly you do and how it all started off. So the Country Food Trust started seven years ago, almost to the day, um, when I was approached by a couple of people who live in Gloucestershire and said, look, we've got this great idea, we think, of taking pheasants and partridge and all sorts of game and feeding people in need. Obviously, there was a at that time a huge demand from the um, people in the food poverty sector or the charitable sector, and there was also quite a lot of um, game available. So that's where it started seven years ago, and since then we have fed 2.2 million meals wow. to people in food poverty, utilising mostly game but not entirely. That's incredible. So, and is this just UK based? Yes, it's just UK-based. It's quite difficult to move food abroad. It's a whole different gamut of complexity. I bet it is. I bet it is. And how, how many sort of charities are you helping? Is there an actual number? Was that ever-changing? It's, it's sort of ever-changing, but actually we do have a number broadly, and that's 3,500 that we've helped feed, and that's across the whole UK. Um, so Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and England have all benefited, um, and we've also got supporters in all those areas as well. So, um, yes, we're a nationwide charity. And is there anything... Any other charity doing what you're doing, essentially solely game for people in food poverty? No, I think we're probably unique in two ways. A, we use game, and B, I think we might be the only charity or or entity producing food for people in food poverty. So when we go to the charities, especially the large redistribution charities like Fair Share, um, we were a bit of an oddity when we started. But actually what we did is go to them first and say, what do you need? And uh, they very much helped us um, produce our products. That's amazing. So we'll get to the actual meals that you provide in just a second. My first question, I think, that is, was there a concern at the start that people in need here might not like anything over gamey? There must have been a sort of a moment at the beginning when you were setting this up, thinking, is this actually going to go? Are people going to actually like what we have to offer here? Very much so. I think um, we went to the charities and said, what do you think? And yeah. they said, we are so short of meat in any format. You know, quite a lot of charities get donated a lot of soups, crackers, jams, quite low um, nutritional value products. And it's great, but it's not meat. And um, so they came back to us and said, you know, absolutely, if you could produce something preferably ambient, that would be superb. What we did is we got a chap called Tim Maddams, who's the ex-head um, chef of River Cottage, and said, could you come on board and help us? And Annette, in fact, Annette Woolcock was very much part of that introduction, who now runs Eat Game. Yeah. Um, so that was a fantastic introduction. And Tim helped us devise meals 
that were not overly gamey. The idea was not to convince lots of people in food poverty they needed to eat something that was gamey, but give them something that was nutritious, warming and, um, and hearty. And they've loved it. We've had no complaints at all. That's amazing. That's great feedback. This gives us a chance to talk about how nutritious game meat is. Um, big advocates of it, of course, here at Eat Game. All the all the benefits you get from it compared to over farm meat. You know, it's high in protein, low in fat. So I, I guess often people that fall on hard times are the people that need the health and nutrition in their diet as a result of their situation. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm not an over-expert on nutrition, but you, if you look at people... Um, with less money to spend, quite often the food they get can be, you know, is sort of more fatty, more sugar, more salt. So what we've produced is something that's meant to be very much on the on the healthy side. And as you said, the game meat that we use, which is predominantly pheasant and now increasingly venison, um, is incredibly healthy and um, and much appreciated. So do we think food banks struggle to get hold of that good quality fresh protein then? Is, is that what you've sort of your research when looking into this? Is that what you found early on? Yes, I think that's where it was. I mean, it, it's if you look at food banks, there's two sort of entities that we feed. Food banks who hand food out to people, not always who are homeless, but quite often people struggling. And they may have incomes, but very low incomes, or they may just be struggling through periods like now with increasing food prices, increasing fuel prices. So we hand food out to them, but we also hand food to communities who feed people, i.e. cook it on site, so soup kitchens and places like that. And um, both of them found meat a very difficult thing to get hold of. So let, let's just talk about what you actually provide here. Um, you've yeah. got three set meals, is that right? Talk me yes. through through what we've got. So we started off with um, these three retorted um, products. So for people of a certain vintage, retorted means pressure cooked. So we pressure cook the food, which means there's no added ease or anything but the casserole, the curry and the venison bolognese. Uh, the first two are with pheasant meat and the latter obviously is um, using deer and these are in um, ambient packs which means they don't need to be chilled don't need to be frozen so that's fantastic for food banks so we'll deliver it to them they can hand it out to people who can cook it at home and there's no need for any chilling throughout the whole process right so, so that's that's the main thing we started off sending and they out. arrive in pouches do they they arrive in pouches if you go into um supermarkets now you'll see them increasingly yeah um plastic pouches of rice and all sorts of soups it's in one of those things and uh, the plastic is recyclable fantastic they sound delicious so the country castle i'm just looking here the country yep. casserole nutritious and warming pheasant casserole delicious the country curry a mildly spicy pheasant curry and the country bolognese a rich and tasty venison ragu i mean delicious i mean they sound absolutely perfect and they've gone down really well have they they've gone down really well i mean there's a there was a, a very um loud woman in in bristol who i used to go and see <laughs> and she was always shouting our praise in front of everybody great and she was utterly brilliant she was full of life and she was always going here comes the pheasant guy again but it's um it actually yes and because broadly speaking if you're if you're in in food poverty what you're looking for is a food but b there's no reason it should be bad food. And so we've gone down the route very much with Tim, madams, of making sure that our food is as high a quality as it can be. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm interested in is is how it goes uh, from field to fork, if you will. Uh, yep. The birds from the shoot day, the venison from the field. What is that supply chain process? How, where do you get your game meat from, first and foremost? Because I guess there's going to have to be a quality process to go through to make sure the meat is of the correct standard. That's a great question and one I should answer or actually put out there earlier quite often when I'm speaking to people because people get a bit confused. We did originally think, why don't we collect pheasants from shoots, process it and then give it to people in need? I mean, yeah. make it very simple. Actually, what happens is because of the FSA, the Food Standards Agency and Health and Safety, 
quite understandably, we buy all our meat from game dealers. Now, quite often shoots help us by providing birds to those game dealers and paying for us, paying to us the processing costs. But all our meat comes, so the field-to-fork experience is game dealer through to a processor and um, FSA authorised processor to the charity. In that way, it's a third-party um, process which is handled by people who are FSA registered. Right, so a specialist manufacturer, if you will, will yep. actually produce the meals Correct. in a factory under your guidance. You all work together and it all gets yep. packaged up. And then what are they sent to you? And then from from you guys, from there, from your HQ, they get sent out across the country? No, this is... Um, we, we, our HQ is we all work from home. This charity has tried to keep its costs as low as possible. So we're all home workers and have been since inception. But the, the food is sent directly from the factories to charities in pallets. So we are right in the middle of starting to send out again. Um, some of them go to individual charities and some go to the redistribution charities like Fair Share, I mentioned. Um, Trussell Trust is a, is a food bank, but they can redistribute. Um, and then His Church... UK Harvest, City Harvest, these extraordinary charities that basically take in huge amounts of food into their warehouses, repackage and send out in smaller quantities. So that's broadly how we operate. Yeah, amazing. It uh, sounds like quite a logistical nightmare to get it all up and running, but once, I guess once you're in a pattern and, and, you've, and you've got that routine going, it, it kind of works smoothly, does it? Yes, I mean, that one's very easy. I mean, the upside for people receiving the ambient product, which we deliver, is that it's ambient and we, we don't have any sort of sell-by date. It's a, we do, we have a year a year's shelf life on it. Oh, really? On the pouches? There's a yes. Year. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, which really yeah. helps. Yeah. And um, we do, of course, the other thing we haven't quite mentioned yet is that we also deliver frozen meat. Okay. So for the for the second type of charity I mentioned, the soup kitchens, if you say, if they're feeding 200 people and you send them 200 pouches, A, it's terrible use of plastic, B, it's quite a, quite a hassle, um, even though we do a two kilo version of the pouches. So we send them, the larger charities, we send them actually frozen meat. And we send out um, we send out mints in the case of venison and pheasant breasts in the case of pheasants, and we send those out in one ton pallets, split down into two kilo portions. Wow! So those go out to the cooks to so the people who actually have chefs in place. Yeah. So that's the second, and that does have slightly more nervous implications because obviously you've got to make sure it remains frozen. Sure. Uh- Let's just touch on uh, this episode. You know, we're looking into how we ensure that we use all our, our quarry and make the most out of our, our game. So, in terms of what goes into your meals, your pouches, uh, what part of when it comes to the pheasant casserole? And I mean, you can use a lot of the pheasant, can't you, in a casserole? Yep. Is it just the breast and leg, or has have you and, and, and Tim Adams have you sort of devised a way of trying to use as much of this quarry as possible? No, and this comes down to cost, really. I mean, it's it's uh, what is the cheapest way to get the right amount of meat into a, into one of our pouches, and, and the answer is broadly we use the breast meat that is chopped and diced. Okay. So if if a pheasant goes through a game dealer and it's perfect, it'll come out as an oven ready pheasant. If it goes and it's not perfect, then we'll um, utilize um, the breast meat, and we only use the breast meat, and there's a couple of reasons. First of all, most of the legs and a lot of game dealers go into frozen um, format and are then processed in the summer. And quite often they can be used for pate or various other things, but they don't always process things at the same time. So we use the breast meat and that works best for us. Also, the flavour is less gamey, as you know, and that sort of helps the people trying to feed. Yeah, that's a great way of uh, eradicating waste then, isn't it? That's brilliant. And in terms of the venison ragu that you offer here, are you getting a a full carcass in or are you just ordering specific cuts? We had a sort of interesting time, as you as you may or may not know, the um, the venison um, problem or the deer problem is rising fast yeah. post-COVID because 
um, the market for deer completely disappeared, hospitality being the main market. So, um, no, we don't take deer in, although we have endless people ring up saying, I've got one in the back of the car, would you like it? Oh, I bet you and do, it, yeah. No, so again, it goes through the same process. A lot of it is actually we send out as mints. Mints is a great format for charities because the chefs, at whatever level they are, um, can really work with it. We also send out to all the charities who take our meat a recipe book, which Tim has helped us put together, which explains a the benefits, but also the fact that it's less fat, yeah. less you know, all those good things, and helps them um, cook it properly. Is that book available for the general public? It or? is available on the website. So if you go to the Country Food Trust dot yeah. um, org, you'll find the the book available. And about ten or fifteen fantastic chefs from Prue Leith to Rick Stein have um, given us their restaurants, and of course our our two patrons, Mark Hicks and Mike Robinson, have given recipes towards that. God, depending on when people listen to this, um, Tim, we might be able to get in there before Christmas for a cheeky Christmas present. Sounds good. Well, they're, they're, they're free. <laughs> they're free. So it's oh, a very cheeky Christmas Even present. better. Small donations <laughs> to the Country Food Trust. I mean, you've got some, you mentioned some of those famous faces there. There's a lot of people that get behind you and have lent their support. I know uh, cricketer David Gower, rugby legend Phil Vickery, presenter Adam Henson, just to name a few. It seems to be a, a, a cause, a charity that um, has a special place in people's hearts, especially those that live within the countryside. Yes, I think, I mean, interestingly, we, we're doing a lot of work within cities as well. And poverty in the cities is as bad as it is in the, in the countryside. And we get a lot of support from people in the city. Um, but yes, we've, we've been very lucky. Um, we've spoken to a number of people you mentioned, plus Phil Spencer, um, plus, as I mentioned, Mark Hicks. And they've just been the most fantastic patrons to us. And they're really engaged. They really believe in what we're doing. I think the charity is, I mean, we, it started three or four years before COVID. And I think people fully understand now the, sh- the shortage of food is an issue. I mean, if we went through COVID, all of us probably walked into a supermarket and saw bare shelves. Sure. And it's not a great feeling, but a lot of the people we're helping um, face that every single day of their lives. However well the rest of us are doing, they, they, they're going through that. So I think it's a cause that people understand needs dealing with. And um, our patrons have been outstanding. What are some of the stats then behind why you're doing this, Tim? I mean, I read here off your website, 8.4 million people in the UK are struggling to feed themselves. So that's an extraordinary number, isn't it? it it's, it's a bit of a shocker. It's, it's one of those ones where, I mean, clearly within the charity sector, there's, one has to be careful not to do double counting because if I provide food, if I provide a meal to Fair Share and they provide it to another charity, provides another charity, that could be counted more. But I think the... Um, the, the number of people, it, it, it's fairly self-evident, not by necessarily people sitting on street corners, which one is normally associates with poverty. It's the number of people just really struggling on zero-hours contracts yeah. and all the rest of it, and increasingly the number of children who are struggling and consequently if the kids aren't being fed properly and many parents are giving up everything to feed their children, um, then these kids aren't learning in schools as well and that's why there's a lot of projects working around feeding kids and actually that's why for us while the pheasant was fantastic as a starter because of the lead in pheasants we weren't able to feed it to kids with the venison all the venison we buy is lead free shot so we're able to now expand into feeding kids in schools and that's been been hugely beneficial wow that's great and and what's quite scary really is yeah i guess people can be slightly removed from these statistics you know they know it's happening but it's elsewhere it's not where they are but in fact it, it will be a lot closer to home than you realize especially if you have, live out in the sticks wherever you might be food poverty is everywhere yes i think that's right and i think you're absolutely right you don't notice it until you look but one of the first things i did was um go with with fair share in bristol which is local to me and went on a round 
and where are they delivering all this food? I wanted to understand what the underlying charities was. And as well as people who are clearly struggling and food banks and areas like that, one of the first places I went to was a, a refuge for vicar's wives because if you're a vicar's wife and your husband sadly dies, then your life can be quite tough. Very, yeah. So there's also young people having problems with alcohol, drug dependency, um, abuse. There's a, such a huge gamut of reasons why people might be in trouble um, and having trouble accessing good food. So right from the start, we had uh, sort of anybody who would like our food can ask for it and we'll give it to absolutely anybody. Our problem, as you've probably worked out, is if there's 8.4 million people in food poverty in the country and we've done 2.2 million meals, we have fed one quarter of that population sure. one meal in seven years. So we're doing our bit, but it's a vast, vast problem. Is there enough game meat for you to continue? I mean, from your experience of dealing with the game food industry, is there an issue surrounding waste, do you think? Is supply outstripping demand when it comes to, to game meat, or is it balanced about right? Um, I think that varies from year to year. And obviously, since we've started this charity, BGA has arrived to look after to feathered game and have done a great job there. Um, so they've come in to really start helping the marketing there. I think venison has always been a slight problem and not probably going back to when foot and mouth allowed the, um, the population of deer to increase. Um, so there is no shortage of supply in terms of venison. I think pheasant goes up and down a bit, but obviously we're facing quite a lot of challenges this year, or when I say we, the game dealers are, because Europe is an issue um, and there is a problem with demand probably out there but again i'm not completely clear what the supply is sure. so the answer to your question is we can always find game we could ours is really a money issue if we had all the money in the world we would buy all the game in the world but we'd also spread into other areas so during covid when there wasn't much game around because obviously the seasons were curtailed what we did with the money was we bought a lot of stuff stuck in uh, restaurant storage chains so we bought a lot of lamb a lot of chicken and we donated that to chefs who then cooked for people in need. So while game is the predominant reason for what, why we exist, to help feed people, um, we will use anything that comes across our path. And in fact, quite often people come to us and say, have you considered geese? Have you considered this? Yeah, yeah. There's an oversupply of turkey. And there's no reason why as a charity we shouldn't go down that route. Because at the end of the day, our, our one and only aim is feeding as many people as possible. Absolutely. Sounds good. Expand where you can. Um, is this an all-year-round operation for you at the uh, Country Food Trust, Tim? Uh, yes, it's a full-time job for me and the um, the other two staff. We have other, only, There's only three of us um, working for it uh, in preparation. But in terms of supply, we tend to um, raise money throughout the year. We've just come off a very successful fundraiser on Friday, which would, should enable us to feed 250,000 people. Wow. More accurately, provide another 250,000 meals. But some of that will take until next season to produce because our, our, you, we have to fit into the food chain organisation. So we will be ordering now for next winter. In Earlier in the year, we ordered for this winter, so that's now being produced. And so our delivery tend to be probably more from October through to March, which is coincides with obviously when a lot of people, due to heating, are hitting their hardest yeah. times financially. Yes, yeah, so, and, and also our food tends to work better, we think, in winter being a warming and nourishing. So, Tim, there's lots of different organisations that support you. Um, in just a second, I'd love to find out how our listeners can do that. But um, what kind of organisations are you working with here in the UK that provide this vital support for you? 
we are we're working with every organisation that sort of addresses the rural areas. So from Country Landowners Association, Countryside Alliance, and actually for us as a small charity, these other existing organisations have been absolutely superb in terms of not just helping us access finance, but also in knowledge based. And Basque particularly has been with us the whole way through, helping us. Um, Ian Bell all the way through helping us and even now they're helping us do new stuff giving us support and we probably couldn't have done it as quickly without the help of those those organizations yeah um, but money is always the answer and uh, the, the best way if possible is if, if, if your listeners could go online um, have a look at our website there's a how to help tab have a look in there there's multiple ways I mean we have we're trying to be as vented as possible so one of the latest schemes we've launched is one for one which is would you give us a pound and feed one person a meal for every bird you shoot during the season. Join that, make a pledge at the end of the season, donate that money to us. So we're trying to come up with inventive ways where people, not only in shooting, because obviously that's a shooting scheme, but in, in all sorts of ways can help and support us. And um, so that would be the best way. Please go to the website, have a look, see if somewhere works for you. If you run a company that um, works within the in the rural areas that may may wish to work with us, that would be fantastic. And if you're an individual who would like to donate, then even better. But all the money that we take in, obviously we run the charity as lean as possible, working from home and three staff. You know, we have a very high percentage of the money that comes in. Over 80% goes to helping people. That's fabulous to hear. Well, it's also brilliant to hear that, you know, there's very little wastage with the, the meals you're putting together and they're all going to just the best places. You're doing a grand job, Tim. Thank you to you and your team. For more information on the uh, Country Food Trust, just go to the website. But for the moment, Tim Woodward, Chief Executive, thanks for your time. Thank you very much, dear Tom. So our in-house chef here at Eat Game, Matt Gisby, is back with us on the podcast with uh, his recipe of the month. Hi, Matt. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Our December episode, uh, Christmas rapidly approaching. So you got something a little festive for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christmas around the corner. And obviously with Eat Game, yeah, just a slight alternative maybe maybe to the turkey. Uh, recipe from Rachel Green, who's one of our one of our chef ambassadors. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Anyone that's seen her as a sort of demonstrator and performer. And she writes just unbelievable recipes. Um, we were lucky enough to go up there actually to a house in Lincolnshire uh, where she did some recipe development with, with her. And this was one of the dishes uh, with a Christmas theme. Incredible dish. So it's, uh, it's roasted Christmas birds basically with a lovely stuffing uh some pancetta and some mustard fruit but she uses pheasant partridge and duck um all slightly different roasting times but pretty simple oven oven ready birds uh delicious stuffing and it's a real sort of showpiece for the table absolutely delicious so this would be uh, served on christmas day you'd have the three different birds there as as you say as the centerpieces and everyone could sort of dive in and uh, choose so. whatever meats they want yeah yeah i think so absolutely um you know they're pretty easy to to carve up to portion up to sort of tuck in uh if you look at the picture on our website she's displayed it displayed it like that you know they're a manageable size she's she her recipe serves six and she's using um two of each bird so six birds in total which um seems about right but you know traditional sort of garnishes i suppose traditional vegetables um would go with it and sauces you know you can still have your cranberry sauce your bread sauce but just thought it was a delicious uh, christmas alternative well it's it's good to urge people to break free i think from their usual eating habits turkey obviously is what i'm referencing here we always go for goose and duck so to have pheasants duck and partridge on your christmas day it's different 
uh, mixing those meats. And uh, I've either had one or the other. A few slithers of the different bird that all blend well enough, will it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, people have traditionally sort of done birds inside a bird inside a bird, and it gets quite elaborate and <laughs> yeah. um, quite crazy by the time that's all deboned. And that's unbelievable butchery if if people do that. But I think this is a little bit simpler. They're all sort of readily available, you know, bang in season. Everything's quite nice and plump, isn't it? By the time Christmas comes around, in terms of the pheasants and the partridges. So yeah, I think a, a slither of each would go down go down pretty well. Yeah, you just need, you know, you need to be in charge, I suppose, um, of your family meal and, and kind of put it on the table because you always get a bit of a, a bit of a kickback of the people that just want turkey and want the same thing every year but but why not change it up a bit it's a delicious recipe yeah and to get these ingredients in just looking through the, the ingredients list here which you can find by the way on our website eatgame.co.uk there'll be a link as well in the show notes to this podcast but we might need to go hunting a little for these but it's the christmas meal so i think people will be up for that little extra prep so you know there's a bit of shopping to do here and a little bit extra prep time but it's definitely going to be worth it in the end yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the stuffing looks like quite a quite a long list of ingredients, but it's sort of a classic mushroom and minced pork stuffing with some lovely herbs and chopped fruit. So it's all quite traditional there. Uh, the thing that people might not have come across is Italian mustard fruits. Um, they are a bit different, obviously uh, traditional in Italy, served with sort of cold meats. Um, but they're yeah, they're fruits that have been soaked in a sort of mustard vinegar. So they they people either love them or hate them, but they're very colourful. They're sort of very very loud and colourful um, fruits, but they're a delicious flavour with game. But I mean, they're you know, it's the Christmas meal, like you say, you can make yeah. a bit of effort. They they are readily available out there. And these birds are so underrated as a Christmas dish. I think turkey's pretty bland and can can dry out, can't it? If you're not on the ball on the on the day, if you've yeah, got a few glasses absolutely. of sherry in you while you're while you're prepping and cooking, you can it can go go disastrously. Absolutely. And people, you know, it can be a bit stressy, can't it? You know, people working out timings and getting old Delia Smith books out per pound of meat and things. Yeah. Whereas these are quite quick to cook. I mean, Rachel does advise, you know, the partridge comes out first and then the pheasant. So there's a bit of bit of timing. You don't really want to just stick them all in at the same time. But it's, it's fairly obvious from the from the size of the bird. But I mean, you've if you do the stuffing prep ahead of time, the actual cooking of the birds is, is maximum an hour really in the oven. So it's not quite the put the turkey in and wait six hours sure. and then pull out something dry yeah and what's great about this recipe on on our website eatgame.co.uk is that you can by the click of a button input how many people you're cooking for and the quantity of, of the ingredients will automatically change it does the maths for you doesn't it yeah, absolutely. It, it multiplies everything out, up or down. I mean, Christmas time, you'd imagine it would be more be um, more be going up. And yeah, in terms of as well, readily available ingredients. You know, your local butcher will have these um, will have these game birds in around Christmas, and and they're quite affordable. You know, they're not expensive and oven ready pheasant turkeys. They can get up. The prices can get quite high, can't they? Around, around yeah, Christmas, people yeah. do go a bit crazy on some things. But we thought we'd pull this one out as well. Venison, people love venison at Christmas. Venison Wellingtons. There's recipes for that kind of thing online as well. If, if you're going to go down that route, but we thought we'd keep it to the birds um, for our recommended recipe this month. Looks fabulous. Um, you've thrown the right spanner in the works because we normally have goose and duck. So now I'm thinking, yeah, it's difficult. I, I still have a few people to win over in our household. Unfortunately, mother-in-law, things like that, yeah, well, are quite uh, traditional. Yeah, yeah. You know. So um, it, yeah, I think you've just got to host and, and put it up for people, and um, and they can they can love it or or leave it. I suppose. All right, fabulous. That is our recipe of the month. Then roasted Christmas birds, mustard fruits, pancetta, puccini stuffing sounds amazing. Uh, Matt, we won't speak before Christmas. Have a fabulous time, you and the family. And we we'll look forward to catching up in our January podcast. Yes, absolutely. You too, Tom. Thanks. Thanks very much. 
So thank you so much to my guests, Tim Woodward and our very own chef, Matt Gisby, of course. Uh, For loads more great game recipes, articles and how to contact the team, uh, check us out at eatgame.co.uk. Please do rate, review and share the podcast if you get a second. And we'll see you next time.